Matthew chapter number 26. I'm going to begin in verse number 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayal had, betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Interesting that Jesus called an enemy a friend, frenemy, frenemy. Do you know the only type of people that can really be enemies are people who are one's friends in some capacity. They're the ones that hurt the deepest. But I believe the reason why Jesus called him a friend is because Jesus understood that what he was about to do was push him further into his destiny. Amen. Then they came and lay hold on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and he drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. Today in our series, Defying the Urge to Quit, I want to minister to you on the subject, don't let the pressure get to you. That's a good word right there. Don't let the pressure get to you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to every person, everyone here in New Milford, everyone at our locations, everyone tuning in virtually, everyone on television. Father, speak like only you can by your power and your anointing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. The pressures of life, we all experience them. Family, marriage, and relational pressure. Work, financial and career pressure, unexpected circumstances, tragedy and loss pressure, health, medical and aging pressure. Dealing with pressure is an inevitable part of life and how you deal with pressure is mission critical as it relates to sinking, surviving or as should be our goal in life, thriving under pressure. Have you ever noticed that some people thrive under pressure and some people crack under pressure? I think I'm one of those people, I don't mean to brag or anything, I like pressure. Pressure kind of motivates me. It kind of, it kind of keeps me going. Without it, life gets a little boring for me. Now granted, there are times when I'm like, all right, enough pressure, right? But we've all heard stories about people who crack under pressure. And you know, if you've been coming for any length of time, that I'm a big sports fan. And so I thought that I'd give you my top three sports chokes of all time under pressure. Okay, here's my top three. Number three, Super Bowl 42. The undefeated then Patriots, right? 
who faced off against the New York Giants, right? The Giants shouldn't have even been there that particular year. Got lucky even getting there. Anyway, the Patriots, the only team to go 16-0. and By the time they get to the Super Bowl, they are 18-0. and Seems like an easy win against the Giants, right? Until, of course, the Giants get the ball back with 2 minutes and 39 seconds. Left in the game on their 17-yard line. Got to march the whole distance of the field. Eli Manning, a.k.a. Gomer Pyle. Have you ever seen somebody that looks like Gomer Pyle? He heaves up this ugly pass. I mean, he's under pressure. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't a good pass. It wasn't even on target. I mean, he heaves this thing up. I mean, and David Tyree, one of the Giants receivers, makes this circus catch, grabs it off of his helmet like this. Eli looks like he's a hero. Meanwhile, it was a good catch that saved him. And the Giants go on, and they defeat the 18-0 and Patriots. Choke under pressure. My number two sports choke under pressure of all time is the 1986 World Series. The Boston Red Sox against the New York Mets. Boston is up three games to two. The Mets are down to their final out of the game. Mookie Wilson is up at the place. He hits a ground ball to the first baseman, Bill Buckner. It looks like Buckner's got an easy out, goes right through his legs. Mets go on, win the game, win the World Series, and Boston choked under pressure. My number one sports choke under pressure of all time is the 2004 ALCS where the vaulted New York Yankees. They are up three games to nothing. I mean, this is a shoo-in. They got to win one of the next four, but the pressure gets to them, and they do the greatest choke of all time. And they lose four in a row. And Boston goes on and wins the ALCS. Honorable mention, by the way, to Mike Tyson against Buster Douglas. And for Pastor Ronald, the Saints kicker, John Carey, who choked in, in a whole different way. Anyway, dealing with... The pressure of life. The pressure could get to you. It could cause you to either sink or survive or thrive. But no matter what the outcome is, one thing is for sure, with pressure comes the urge to quit. Comes the urge to give up, to throw in the towel, to say, I can't take it anymore. That's it. I had enough. I, it's too difficult. It's too hard. I, I don't want to go on. I don't want to fight anymore. I'm throwing in the towel. And, and if you and I are not going to let the pressure give to, get to us, we need to, of course, look to the greatest example for how to not let the pressure get to you of all time. And that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's always our example. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior that we can relate to? He refused to claim immunity, but instead became part of our community. He was tempted and tried at every point, yet remained without sin. He knew pressure that you and I will never, ever know, but yet he feels everything that we go through. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? He's our example. And Jesus, in our text, is just emerging from the pressure of Gethsemane. Literally a place that means pressing, press, pressing, and that's what pressure is. Pressure is when life comes and presses us to find out where our breaking points are in life. And Jesus is being 
pressed. He's pressed by not wanting to have to go through what he's about to go through. He is dealing with the pressure of the hard road that is before him. He's dealing with the pressure of feeling abandoned and alone. He's dealing with the pressure of circumstances that will literally separate him from God. He's dealing with the cross that is before him. He's dealing with death staring him in the face. He's dealing with his emotions raging on the inside. He's dealing with his circumstance affecting his health in such a way that he sweats drops of blood. He is feeling the pressure. If we ever think that God cannot relate to what we're going through, God feels everything that you and I feel. The Bible says we have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. He's dealing with the pressure. My first point, he makes it through the pressure by praying. How do you make sure that the pressure doesn't get to you? You pray through the pressure. He emerges from the pressure of being pressed through the power of prayer. Let me say it again. He emerges from the pressure of being pressed through the power of prayer. Let me say it a different way. Prayer gives us the power to emerge from the pressure. Prayer is that essential. And I felt like when I was writing this sermon, God told me to remind some people, it's time to pray. Prayer increases your capacity to handle pressure. Without prayer, you can only handle this much. But with prayer, you can handle much more. Prayer gives your emotions a place to go because you cast all of your cares upon the Lord. Your emotions need outlets. And if you don't have outlets for your emotions, they will bubble up in the wrong place. But prayer gives you a place for those emotions to go. Prayer is where you call upon your Father who hears you and answers you and gives you the supernatural strength that you need to handle the pressure to fight through instead of falling apart. Prayer is the outlet whereby you can talk about your situation in in a productive way instead of an unproductive way. Do you know why people talk about what they're going through more than they should? I'm not saying it's not okay. It's, it's, it's wrong to confide in people, but, but when you talk and talk and talk and talk and you give power to your problem. And I found that the reason why people talk and talk and talk and talk and talk is because they're not talking to the right person about their problem. You need to talk to God about your problem. And then when you talk to God about your problem, you'll wind up talking to your problem about your God. Y'all just missed that. That was too quick for you right there. Prayer gives us that power. Prayer is where you call for your armor so that the enemy's darts won't do what they were sent to do. Prayer is how you emerge from the attacks of the enemy. Prayer is a weapon that weakens the power of the pressure. Prayer is where when you're weak, you become strong. Prayer is where we pull God into the equation where we decide we are not fighting by ourselves. Prayer is where we conquer the fear of the pressure and wind up with the Father's assurance in our heart. Prayer is where we confound the enemy who wonders, how did you emerge from the pressure that you are going through? The answer is, I prayed. I prayed when I didn't feel like it. I prayed when I didn't think it was going to work. I prayed when there was a voice that was saying in my mind and in my head, why bother? I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And because I prayed, I emerged from the pressure. That's what Jesus did in the garden. Are you praying when you're going through pressure? And I'm not just talking about praying, God help. 
I'm talking about spending time in the presence of God till you feel strengthened. Jesus didn't emerge until he got supernatural help. See, too many people think prayer is just a one-way conversation where we just dump on God and tell him what we need and how we want him to interact and help. But I see prayer as a filling station. Prayer is that place that we go to where God pours on what we need and pours in the strength that what we need. And many times in prayer, prayer for me is sometimes a place of silence. Because why would you, by the way, and God told me this a long time ago. He said, when you're in the company of people who are smarter than you, shut up. They've got something you need. So oftentimes I just get into the presence of God in prayer and I just tell him how wonderful he is and how marvelous he is and then I just sit and I let God speak to my spirit and I let God charge me and pour into me supernatural strength to give me wisdom and direction. It is that filling station that gives you the power to emerge from the pressure of the circumstances. Jesus now emerges from the pressure of Gethsemane and as we've been looking at, he immediately gets hit with the pressure of Judas's pre-planned, premeditated betrayal, not by an enemy or even an acquaintance, but by a friend who brings an army of enemies with him to a spot that he only knew by virtue of the intimate relationship that he was in with Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to deal with pressure. And the second thing we find out from the example Jesus sets in our text, how do we make sure the pressure doesn't get to us? We don't let the pressure change us. I want you to look at verse 51 with me in our text. Judas has brought an army to capture Jesus with him. And Jesus, if you remember, has answered the question, in essence, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And remember what he says? He says, I am. And if you were here last week when Jesus said, I am, everybody fell over as if dead men. Because when Jesus said, I am, he was pronouncing the name, the holy name that was only given to God in, in by the Hebrews in every way. It was the same name that God gave to Moses in the book of Exodus. And when Jesus says, I am, the power of God hits everybody that's there. They fall over as if dead men. They're lying on the ground. And you remember what Peter does, verse number 51, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand. He drew his sword. He struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. How do you know that's Peter, pastor? John chapter 18, same story, gives us more detail than Simon Peter having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now to understand what this has to do with not letting the pressure change you in order to not let it get to you, let me tell you a little bit about Malchus and Caiaphas. Malchus was the servant of the high priest, the text says. Literally, the right-hand man, the representative of the high priest, Caiaphas. Now, Caiaphas was a corrupt high priest in every way. He was a member of the Sadducees, which was a sect of Jewish believers that did not believe in the supernatural. They actually discredited all of the stories of the Old Testaments. They called them legends and myths. And so Caiaphas caused a 
lot of problems for Jesus everywhere that Jesus went. He was always challenging Jesus, and Jesus was always trying to be arrested at the hands of Caiaphas. And Malchus was the front man. He was going out, and he was doing all this on behalf of Caiaphas. And so Peter sees all of Jesus' enemies laid out on the floor and scholars believe that he did not pick out Malchus by accident but rather picked him out on very purpose, on much purpose because he was sick and tired of what Malchus was doing to Jesus and so in that moment he takes out his sword in a moment of rage, in a moment of anger and he goes for his head and we're going to see luckily he just hits his ear. And chops it off. Now notice what happens. Jesus answers. And he says, verse number 51, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Healed him. Permit even this. This phrase literally means, let me do this one last thing for you before I allow myself to be captured. What was the one last thing? And incidentally, this was the last miracle that Jesus did prior to the crucifixion. It was to heal the ear of his enemy. Permit me this. Let me do this one last thing. What is Jesus talking about? What is he teaching us about the pressure? I want you to notice that when the pressure came on strong, it brought out the worst in Peter. Anger and rage and bitterness and violent actions. But when the pressure was put on Jesus, Jesus remained the same. Healer he was and healer he is. Just like he healed every manner of sickness and disease that was brought to him in his moment of pressure Jesus not just heals anybody, but he heals the ear of his enemy. What's he saying? Don't let the pressure change you. Don't let it change your personality. Don't let it change your joy. Don't let it change your outlook. Don't let it change your peace. Don't let it change your countenance. Don't let it change your confidence. Don't let it change your faith in God. Don't let it change how you believe and what you believe. Don't let it change you. When you allow pressure to change you, you allow pressure to have ultimate power over you. Incidentally, Jesus remained the same throughout the whole thing. Even at the Last Supper, he served his betrayer dinner. Imagine that. Pastor, that's kind of hard. How is it that when the pressure is being put on my life, I make sure that it doesn't change me? Well, let me share something that God taught me. It's my next point. Realize that the pressure is working for you. That is not working against you, but rather it's working for you. And if you see pressure in that way, you won't let it change you. Actually, it'll it'll push you to do what James says. Remember what James says? Count it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces patience. And when patience has its perfect work, you will be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. How is it that I can count it all joy when pressure and temptations are coming my way? It's when I realize that the pressure is not working against me, but rather the pressure is always working for me. 
Can, can, I, can I share with you what Matthew says? Verse 54, Jesus responds. He says, how then can the scripture be fulfilled? Put away your sword. How then can the scripture be fulfilled? That this must happen. What is Jesus saying? He is saying, even though the pressure came to break me, it's actually going to bless me. Even though it came to cause me to quit, it's actually going to cause me to conquer. Even though the enemy thought it was going to distort who I am, the truth is it's going to help me to fulfill my destiny, which I've been created for. Even though it came to set me back, it's actually going to set me up. Even though it came to cancel me, in fact, it's going to be part of the script that God has written about me. Instead of stopping me, it's going to propel me. Instead of hurting me, it's going to help me. Jesus was trying to tell people, Peter, Don't let it change you. The pressure, what seems like it's coming against me, it's not working against me. It's working for me. How so? It's making me pray more, isn't it? It's making me press into God more, isn't it? It's giving me an eternal perspective, isn't it? It's helping me to order my priorities. It's helping me to dig into the scriptures. It's helping to push me forward. Matter of fact, it's going to be a stepping stone into my destiny. Pressure. It's not working against you. It's working for for you. Some of you don't really believe Romans 8.28. Some of you just like the ring of it. Some of you, some of you just, just like the sound of it. But you don't really believe it. Romans 8.28. And we know that what kind of things? All things. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that sounds real good. We like to quote that promise. We like to get excited about that promise. But I want you to know that that doesn't just sound good. It, it really is good. I want you to know not only is it good, but it's true that not some things, but all things, not just good things, but, but rank bad things, not just the things that make us comfortable, but the things that make us uncomfortable. All things are not caused by God. That devil is a liar. But all things are used by God to bring about good in your life and you need to believe that when you're going through the pressure in life because that will tell you it ain't working against you it's really working for you for you I call it the boomerang blessing of God you know what a boomerang does right you throw it out you think it's going to get away from you and it winds back coming back to you See, when the enemy sends something into your life that he thinks is going to destroy you, God boomerangs it. And it winds up, instead of breaking you, it winds up blessing you. He takes what the enemy meant for evil, and he truly does turn it for good. What they did or it does to you cannot stop what God has for you. It is impossible for a circumstance in which you remain faithful to God to stop what God has for you. Matter of fact, if you will stay faithful, the circumstance that is in adversity will actually push you faster, further than you would have otherwise been able to go. The pressure is working for you. It's actually good. I heard this little story. I've I've shared it before. I love to tell the story about this African king and and his best friend. And everything that happened to his best friend would always say, that's good. That's good. 
and uh, they go hunting, and he prepares the, the rifle for the king, and he prepared it, I guess, wrong, and the king pulled the trigger, and it blew off his thumb. And the king is, you know, bleeding all over there, and the, and the friend says, that's good. He says, no, it's not good. Blew off my thumb. And he got so mad, he threw his friend in jail. A couple of years go by, he goes hunting again in an area he knew was unsafe. He got captured by cannibals. And when the cannibals saw that he was missing a thumb, they were superstitious. Because they don't like to eat anything that's been messed up with and stuff like that. So, so they let him go. And immediately he remembered his friend. And he went to the jail and he let his friend out and he told him the whole story. And his friend looked at him and he said, it's good. He says, how in the world could this be good? You've been in jail for the last two years. He said, if I wasn't in jail, I would have been with you and they would have ate me. It's good. It's working for you. You may not be able to see it. It may not look good at the moment. It may not feel good at the moment. But you are a child of Almighty God. And your promise is not that some things, but that all things are working together for your good. You need to believe it. Don't let the pressure get to you. Last thing I want to share with you. How do I not let the pressure get to me, Pastor? I put the pressure in God's hands. I mean, this is easier said than done, isn't it? In our text, Peter does just the opposite. I love Peter. Don't you love Peter? Peter Peter's like, he's just like a mirror to us. He's impetuous and you know, he, he, he likes to fix stuff himself. And he jumps in there and he, he takes matters into his own hand. He, he's got to fix it his way. Just like we got to fix it our way in our time and in our wisdom. Have you ever tried to fix it by yourself and wind up messing it up even more? One of the things that I've learned is I stopped trying to fix it. And I, and I just, okay, God, I know you got this. I'm going to just let it play out. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do what you asked me to do. But I'm certainly not going to jump ahead of you. And, and, and when we try to fix it, instead of doing it God's way, in essence, what we are saying is God needs our assistance. And we are getting the order of the relationship mixed up. We need God's assistance. God does not need our assistance. How arrogant, how condescending, how ignorant, but how human to think that God needs our help. I call it small God syndrome. S-G-S. Small God syndrome. Do I have any fellow small God syndrome sufferers in the house? Do I have any small God syndrome people who are out there at one of our campuses or watching in virtual world? Small God syndrome. We all suffer from it from time to time. But let me remind you of what God tried to remind us of. Abraham and Sarah had small God syndrome, the fathers of our faith. And they thought they were too old to have a child. And God came along, and here's what he said in Genesis. Is there any too, anything too difficult or too wonderful for the Lord? At the appointed time, when the season for her delivery comes, I will return to you and Sarah will have a child. And you know what I take from that? God doesn't need our help, but I also take from that when we're going through something, I just say, okay, God, I'm not going to oppress it. You've already appointed a time for my deliverance in this situation. Small God syndrome. Jeremiah tries to help us over small God syndrome. In Jeremiah 32 verse 17, here's what he says. He says, ah, Lord God, behold, 
You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too difficult or too wonderful for you. And then just in case we miss that, 10 verses later, God jumps later. God jumps in. He says, I am the Lord God, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too difficult for me? And then Jesus over a New Testament says this, with man, some things are difficult, but with God, everything is easy. I just paraphrased. What is God telling us? He don't need our help. He don't need us to jump in and try to fix it. I want to remind you today that you serve a big God, that he is bigger than your problems, that he's bigger than your pains, that he's bigger than your circumstances, your setbacks, your conundrums, what you think is impossible and improbable. He's He's bigger than what's holding you back. He's bigger than what's standing in your way. He's bigger than what's on the way into your life. You serve a big God. Stop suffering from SGS, small God syndrome. Peter's suffering from it, though. What does Peter do? Peter pulls out his sword. He cuts off the ear of Malchus. This is punishable by death. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 26, verse 52. Put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Pete, I'm bigger than you think. Pete, do you really think I'm that small? Pete, did did you not see what happened when I said I, I am? How everybody just fell over as if dead. Pete, don't you realize that I'm allowing this circumstance? They're not capturing me. I'm allowing them to take me. Don't you realize that my father can send me more than 12 legions of angels? Let me break that down. A legion of angels is 6,000. 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angels. He said he could send me more than, but let's just take the 12. 72,000 angels can come just like this to my assistance right now. Isaiah tells us that in one night, one angel wiped out 185,000 men. One angel in one night wiped out 185,000 men. If that was an angel maxing out, you know what I mean by maxing out? If that's all an angel could do, 185,000. If we do the math, that means that 12 legions of angels have the power to knock out 13,320 men in one night. That is more than twice the number of people that are on the planet. What is God telling us? What is Jesus saying to Pete? He's saying, Pete, stop suffering from SGS. I'm a big God. I don't need your help. I don't need your sword. Put it away. God doesn't need us to jump in and foul stuff up in our own strength and in our power, but but Peter doesn't realize it. He takes out his sword. Interesting enough, when everybody is lying down, that's called a sucker punch. Everybody's big when there's nobody to fight. Tries to chop his head off. He hits his ear. This is a crime. The servant of the high priest. This was a lofty position. 
This was a position that was protected in every way. And if you cut off the ear or harmed or maimed someone in authority like this, it was either punishable by life imprisonment or the death sentence. And here is Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He said, let me do this one other thing for you. Before I go to the cross, Peter, let me clean up your mess. And he takes the ear and he puts it back on. And all the evidence of Peter's crime is immediately wiped out. How many of you know our God loves to erase the evidence that is against us? And because he loves us, he specializes in cleaning up the messes that we find ourselves in in life. Matter of fact, his mission was to clean up our sin mess. And God is good at it. And God doesn't need our help to clean up our messes. Now listen to me. There is a difference between self-induced action and God obeyed and God obeyed action. Self-induced action is when you jump out yourself. That causes a mess. Do you know what God-induced obedience does? It causes a miracle. And there's a difference between the two. But here's what I love about God and what he's telling us is, when you are going through pressure, put it in my hands. Put it in the hands of he who orders the angels. Put it in the hands of he who can, in a prayer, send 72,000 angels and enough power to wipe out 13,320,000,000 people. Put it in my hands, the hands that can reach out and touch whatever your health issue is. Put it in my hands, the, the hands that can reach out and heal your marriage issue. Put it in my hands, the hands that can reach out and grab your child who is straight off and pull him back. Put it in my hands. These are hands that you can trust. Stop having small God syndrome and realize you serve a big God bigger than anything that you can ever go through in your life. He is worthy of your trust. Don't let the pressure get to you. Would you stand to your feet? I want to close with one more thing. Just, just this one more thing before I go eat chicken. Jesus said, this is one more thing before I go to Christ. I was trying to make a joke. Anyway. The last part of our text says, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Notice the phrase, led him away. See, in your mind, in my mind, we're thinking like, you know, maybe they handcuffed him. Maybe they put a a bat club in his back, pushed him along. Literally what this phrase describes is how sheep were led around in Bible days. They put a rope around a sheep's neck and they would pull the sheep and follow or lead the sheep to wherever the sheep needed to go. When it says they led Jesus away, it literally means they put a noose around his neck. How many of you know it wasn't loose? I don't believe they treated him carefully. I believe they were roughing him up. 
noose around his neck, and they pulled him. And you say, Pastor, well, why would they do that? Because Scripture had to be fulfilled. Because even what the enemy was doing in that moment was not working against him. He was working for him. Isaiah says, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Noose around his neck. As a sheep before its shearers was silent, he opened out his mouth. Even the way they took him was working to fulfill scripture. It's not working against you, it's working for you. But here's what I want you to see. He did that for you. The God of all power. The God who words I am knocked. Soldiers all over the ground. God whose words caused the grave to open up. And we saw last week a, a man to run out in the garden and fled naked out of the grave. A man who had angels at his disposal that could wipe out 13,320,000,000 in one prayer. For you and I, allowed mortal men to put a noose around his neck and drag him off to a cross to be crucified. How much does he love us? Beyond what we're ever able to comprehend. We might get glimpses of it here and there, but I don't know that we'll ever be able to realize the full impact. But he did it because our sin mess needed to be cleaned up. And I ask you as I do every single week for the benefit of any who would come. And by the way, when people who need Jesus start to go down, that means that the church starts to get slack in their assignment. Because just let me help you out a minute here. You're not here. You're not out there just to have a good life. You're out there on assignment to spread the light of Christ. And so I ask you, are you right with God? Do you know this moment or this second where you would spend eternity if you left the earth? Do you know it would be heaven? Hello, hello, hello. Do you know it would be heaven? Are you sure? He died to clean up our sin mess. We've got to ask him for forgiveness. We've got to put our faith in him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today, if you're watching at one of our campuses or at home, and you're not right with God, but you say, Pastor, I want to surrender my life to him. With no one looking around, if that's you, hold your hand up to the Lord. I want to pray for you so that you're right with God. Is there anybody like that? Hold it up and don't be bashful. Some of y'all are giving me half hands. I need full hands. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's pray out loud for the benefit of anybody who's watching at our campuses who feels like they need to give their life to Jesus right now. Say this after me. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of them. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I receive him as my Savior. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, especially if you're watching on camera or at one of our campuses, there's a little button, a little hand that says, I gave my life to Jesus. Click it and we'll reach out to you.